Well, my name is Scott Gill, one of the elders here at the downtown campus of Bethel Bible Church, and it is indeed an honor to be with you this morning. It's uh, just an honor to, to bring the Word of God. I would like to just draw your attention for a very brief moment to the foundry. Uh, just a, a shout out to the staff that work downstairs uh, that not only make a, a marvelous cup of coffee, uh, but they just greet those who come through the doors with the love of Christ. And I just want to draw that to your attention when you see them. Uh, just give them some words of encouragement and, and, and thanks for, for what they do. And, and, and speaking of coffee in church, I'm reminded of a, of a story of a certain church that what they would do is they would bring out the coffee to the congregation after the sermon was preached. And a, a visitor to the church was kind of curious by the unusual gesture of hospitality and, and the timing of, of that. And so he just turned to the lady next to him and, and inquired, why did they serve the coffee right after the, the sermon? And so the lady was more than thrilled to brag about her church. And Southern woman, very genteel, responded, you know, sir, the reason we bring out the coffee afterward is for safety. We want people to wake up before they drive home. So there's plenty of coffee right outside those doors when I'm through here tonight for that, that very reason. And look, there seems to be right ways uh, for the wrong reasons, wrong ways for the right reasons. But the ways of God are not only the right ways, but they're done for the right reasons. So we may not, we may not understand his ways, but that's okay. You know, he inspired uh, Isaiah to write this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, when I'm, I'm kind of left to my own devices, I, I tend to, to drift um, wrongly in the wrong direction. And I somehow foolishly suppose that my ways are somehow superior to God's ways, or, or at least I, I, I sometimes challenge God's ways. Uh, I like what Greg said last week. He said there's a Joshua 1.0. And then there's a Joshua 2.0. Um, is God on my team? That's Joshua 1.0. Or am I on God's team? That's Joshua 2.0. So, you know, King David, he wrote this, and he reminds us that to trust in God is to trust him from a position of humility. He wrote, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eye lofty, neither do I concern myself with great matters there were things too profound with me. So what, what David was, was simply saying was this. Humility is the elixir of the soul. St. Teresa once wrote, I like this too. Humility does not disturb or disquiet or agitate. However great it may be, it comes with peace, delight, and calm. The pain of genuine humility doesn't agitate or afflict the soul. Rather, this humility expands it. And enables it to serve God more. So you know, herein kind of lies our, our big idea for the day. We need to know, at least I need to know, be continually reminded that God's ways are far superior uh, to my own. Because God's ways are not our ways. And that is very good news. But you know, when we're oftentimes presented with his ways that maybe seem counterintuitive, maybe go against, you know, me, the center of all things. Um, you got to ask yourself, you know, how do I rightly respond to his ways? And the answer, I think, is found uh, in our Bibles today in Joshua chapter, chapter 6. And simply illustrated for us is this. First thing, we need to know God's ways. And then secondly, we need to uh, respond in humble obedience through faith. So we're continuing uh, in our series in the book of Joshua. Uh, today, chapter 6 is 27 verses. 
and we simply do not have the time to go verse by verse and, and just go deep into it. So today it's going to be a little bit different approach. We're going to look at the forest as opposed to the trees, and I'm going to be reading today from the uh, New King James Version. I b- had to buy a new Bible with my age. It has bigger print, so I had to go with a, a bigger print Bible and uh, just picked out the New King James, a little bit different than the ESV. That's okay. Um, with this being the, the seventh sermon uh, out of Joshua, I'm not going to give a lot of background information. Let me just kind of give a quick on-ramp into chapter 6. As you know, 40 years in the wilderness uh, has gone by. Moses has died. Uh, now uh, Joshua is the chosen instrument of God to lead uh, the nation of Israel. They've crossed over the River Jordan, and um, they're here uh, to, to do two things, really, to, to possess the land and also, got to keep this in mind, uh, they are to be the instruments of God's wrath on the unrepentant nation of Canaan. If you remember from last week, chapter 5 ended with Joshua in a conversation with the commander of the Lord's army. And here in chapter 6, it appears that that conversation continues with God giving Joshua the military instructions on how to overcome the city of Jericho. And clearly from the passage, what we're going to see is God's ways are not our ways, yet we are to humbly submit to his ways through acts of faith. Chapter 6, the, uh, the story of the battle of Jericho. So let's, let's pray before we go to God's word. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I just ask, after this wonderful set of worship and singing how great you are, Lord, uh, you are great. You are awesome uh, beyond measure. And so, Lord, I just want us to take this time to humble our hearts uh, so that we can rightly meditate on your word So, Lord, I ask that the meditation of our hearts and the words that come from my lips, that they be acceptable and they be seen as a precious aroma to you, Lord. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So, look, with 27 verses, what I've done is I've kind of broken this down into three major expository points, three observations, if you will. The first one is is this. If if the first step is to know God's ways, we need to know where to find them. So, observation number one is this. God's ways are are conveyed through his word. God's ways are conveyed through his word. So, so look with me. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6, 1 through 5, and we're going to see three things here. God's preparation, God's promise, and God's path. All right? His, his preparation and his promise are very uh, expectantly authoritative. Right? But the path that he outlines for his people is unexpectedly atypical. First thing, God had prepared the way for Israel. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this, reading from the New King James. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. God had gone before the nation of Israel and he already won the uh, battle of the mind, the psyche. If you were to go back to um, Joshua chapter 2, remember when, when Eric preached on this and he sent, uh, Joshua had sent spies into the, uh, across the river Jordan to spy out the land, and they came into the city of Jericho, and you see this interaction with Rahab. And listen to the words of Rahab down in verse 9, chapter 2. And Rahab said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, why are they so scared? Well, he tells us in verse 10. 
For, or because, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Shahon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard these things, we wet our pants. No, bad translation. Our hearts melted, right? And then, then what's, what's interesting is the only military information that's recorded from these spies we get at the end of, of chapter 2 Verse 24, the spies tell Joshua, and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of this. And then after that, God did another amazing miracle. He pushed the waters of the Jordan upstream, dried out the river during the flood stage, and the massive Israelites crossed over the river Jordan. Last week we read in chapter 5, verse 1, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. The mass of Israelites had crossed over into the land of Canaan, but more importantly, their God had gone on before them. And so rather than... The people of Jericho seeking the rock and the shield that is the Lord, they sought security in the things of the world, right? <laughs> they recognized that God, uh, what all God had done, but, but centuries of a lifestyle of vile depravity. I won't go into that because there's young children uh, perhaps in the audience, but it, it's hard in their hearts toward the Lord. They reject him. They turn inward. Uh, they, they shelter in place. They lock themselves in. They're, they're left within the security of the fortified walls and seemingly ample supplies of food and water to weather a storm. So, you know, how might we think about this today? Well, look, one can turn to the world for their security or they can turn to the, the Lord. I like what Paul wrote in the, uh, in the book of Romans. He, he said this, what shall we say about these things? You know, as believers in Christ being called to his purpose, it can be intimidating at times, especially when suffering uh, for Christ is involved. But even so, Paul continued in his uh, epistle, if God is for us, who is really against us? Oh, to be on his team is sweet. Back to Joshua. Not only had God prepared the way, but God had promised the win. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua. Now, what we get here following is, is an emphatic statement. He first opens it with what they call a meta comment. See. See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now, here on one hand, we have this heavily fortified city of Jericho. And on the other hand, we have this ragtag nomadic militia group with no means of of military materials to overcome a a well-fortified city. But I I think also here, what I want you to know is the verb, I have given. That's the Lord speaking, I have given. It's a perfect tense verb, right? It means simply a completed, completed action. And um, it's described here as a prophetic perfect, meaning that uh, it describes a future action as if it has already uh, occurred. God's promise, the victory was, was already uh, assured. And sometimes when you're up here preaching, you'll notice that your notes are out of order, so you have to make a quick adjustment. So look, God, God has promised um, victory. We have that, the, the promise today, right? Um, I, I love John's writing. I, I love his gospel. I love his, his first epistle. And, and in that he wrote, you know, you are of God, little children. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. He's talking about the spirits of the Antichrist. 
And then he finishes that, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so while God's preparation and his promise uh, were plainly authoritative, his path, his plan was perplexingly atypical. Now, at this time, Joshua was probably in his 80s. Um, Many scholars think that he had some military training while he was in Egypt. Uh, Certainly, he had been battle-tested for the nation of Israel, but those battles occurred in the field. Uh, Here, they're going up against a a fortified city without the physical means to, to overtake it. Now, I would have loved to have seen Joshua's face as the Lord laid out the battle plan Uh, to take the the stronghold of Jericho. They didn't have howitzers. Those weren't invented, but they didn't have battering rams. They didn't have catapults. They didn't have ladders to overcome the the physical obstacles of of Jericho. What they had was instructions to take a lap. Take a lap. Take a lap. On the seventh day, you're going to take seven laps. Uh, And then you get to shout. Here's what we read, what God told uh, Joshua. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, and you shall go around the city once. This ye shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. So what was true for the Israelites then is actually true for us today. We've got God's preparation, his promise, and his path to accomplish his ways. And you know, so much of the Bible just resonates with, with God's authority. You know, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not, I should say murder. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are pretty, pretty plain. But sometimes we come across the atypical I don't know if you remember Apollo 13. They had a radio signal. (laughs) Okay, Houston, we have a problem here. Well, okay, church, I have a problem here. When I look at what God um, wants me to do with my life, uh, he says, love one another. That sounds like that's pretty easy until Jesus put these words on it, as I have loved you. Or love your neighbor, even though your neighbor may be your enemy. Or as I, I told folks this morning with my wife present, Paul instructed us to love our the married guys, love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's a tall order. She's great and deserves, deserves it, but I'm just not that good. And then there's also, we're to be submissive to our government in humility without complaining or disputing. Some of those orders are pretty tall. Kind of reminds me of this, this illustration of a man that was... Um, Walking along the Grand Canyon, along the edge of the, 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 the Grand Canyon there, he takes out his cell phone and, you know, he starts to do one of these selfie things with, you know, him and, then of course, the, the Grand Canyon in the background. And he really gets enamored by it and, and taken away with it, and then he steps off the edge of the Grand Canyon. But on his way down, he was able to grab a branch to keep himself from falling 400 feet below, certainly to his death. And he's, he's hanging there, and he's starting to shout out, God, God, save me, Lord, save me. And soon a a voice comes down from above saying, do you believe in me? That's God's voice. Do you believe in me? And the man says, yes, yes, Lord, yes, but but please, please save me. The voice says, do you trust me? The man says, yes, I trust you, but I I can't hold on much longer. Please save me. 
And the voice says, then let go. Is there anybody else up there that can help me? <laughs> now, you may not hear the audible voice of, of God, um, but you have his written word. And he's given us a battle plan to execute through his written word. But the question, the question for you and me is this. Do I trust him? Do I trust him? Moving on. Not only are God's ways conveyed through um, his word, but his ways are carried out through faith. God's ways are carried out. Now, I want to be very, very careful with, with that statement. I, I don't want to imply um, that we control God through faith. Uh, he is not on our team. We are to be on his team. He wants us to trust him, to work alongside of him, submitting as humble servants as to the Lord. If you remember last week in Joshua chapter 5, when he encounters the commander of the Lord's army, uh, he says this in verse 14, or the, the, he writes this, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth. That's a face plant there. And he worshiped. And he said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Uh, God's ways carried out through faith, and we read about that uh, on the part of Israel in verses 6 through 21. Now, this is the meat of the sandwich, 6 through 21. That's a lot of verses to cover. And again, we're going to do, do a look at the forest. So we're going to look at the forest of meat and not the trees of, of sliced meat in, in this part of the, of the passage. Uh, if I can mix my metaphors for those of you who are botanists or arborists and, and want to go deep into, uh, you know, what does it mean? You see the, the, the number seven repeated a lot. You see the ram's horns. You see the priests, seven priests. Uh, you even see a term of devoted um, to the destruction. Uh, a lot of things in here uh, that are going on, and I, I will be more than happy to answer those. So with all your questions about devotion to destruction and all that stuff, please email me at eric at bethelbible.com, and I will be more than happy to have Eric answer those for you. Um, so here we are. We're, we're, uh, we're going through verses 6 through 21. And so... Um, like I said, we don't have a lot of time here. So let me just kind of break this up into three parts. Um, three major expositional points here. First is, is God's plan conveyed to his people? Uh, God's plan conducted through his people and concluded for his people. So the first thing here is God's plan conveyed to his people, which we pick up on in verses 6 through 7. So how else will people know God's way if his word does not go out, right? Um, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. The author of Hebrews said, uh, the word of God is living and active. Jeremiah wrote, it's not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. Isaiah said, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. Mm, I want to be on his team, right? So let's read Joshua verses 6 through 7 together. And I'm going to actually have to skim uh, the remaining verses just, just due to time limit. But let's look at it 6 and 7 together. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let them who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. Now I realize that this is the Reader's Digest version of what was commanded in the previous verses and certainly what gets unpacked as the narrative unfolds. But I think here's, here's the takeaway. The battle plan that is God's way is recorded for us three times. And I think there's importance that not once, not twice, but it's recorded for us three times. 
Joshua was old, right? Like me, forgetful, prone to repetition. Um, but I think that the point here is that this is a very, very unusual battle plan. And the author of uh, the book wants us to understand that. So let's move from God's plan conveyed to the people, but God's plan conducted through the people. And, and this is the big chunk here. I kind of broke it out, eight, uh, verse 8, all the way through the first part of, of verse 20. Um, that's where we get the greatest amount of detail about God's plan. First in verse 8, and I'm just going to pick up a little bit in verse 8 because we don't have time to go through the whole thing here. It says this. My version starts out, verse 8, so it was. In other words, the people did all that God had commanded. Through faith, they obeyed God's word. Now, there's no record of groaning, disputing on the part of the people. There's no record of them questioning God's unusual military tactic, nor questioning God's conduit, his instrument, that is Joshua. In humility, fully submissive by faith, the people did as God had commanded. Drop down to verse 10, and we'll see something else here. Joshua reminded folks of the battle plan. Repetition is the key to learning, right? And how many times have you heard the story of the Battle of Jericho? How many times do you remember that song he sang as a little kid? Joshua fought the battle. I'm not going to sing it. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You remember that? You now, there's some theological issues with it, but we won't go into that. Again, email me at eric at bethelbible.com, and uh, he'll answer that part for you. But... Um, Repetition is the key here, but as I read through this portion of, of Scripture, an image came to my mind. And I'm not saying that it was a righteous image by any stretch of the imagination, yet in my mind, here's a ragtag nomadic militia circling a well-fortified city with impenetrable walls. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Monty Python's Holy Grail. Mark, can you put that image up? Remember this? Huh? This, this is what popped, again, it's not a righteous thought, but it's what popped into my, my, my mind. And I could just imagine taunts coming over the walls of Jericho towards these, these soldiers that are marching around in silence while, while, while priests are blowing on, on a dead sheep's horn, right? You know, they're just throwing shade on these people. Um, and, and here we see, you know, it'd be like the, the, the French knights above. You don't frighten us, English pig dogs. <laughs> It will blow my nose at you and so forth, you silly king. It's, it's like those would be kind of like the taunts I can imagine uh, being thrown out to these folks. But let's go back to reality. Because what we'll also see here in, in verses 8 through, through 20 or so is, is that God's command is not all that taxing. You know, a lot of the um, historians kind of thought that uh, the ancient city of Jericho was about eight and a half acres, less than 10 acres. And of course, it was on a, a, some topography there. So. Maybe it was a 10-acre encirclement for these folks. That means they, they walked, what, three-quarters of a mile around the city um, once a day for six days. They had to do it you know, seven times on the seventh day, but maybe it was a 20-minute walk. It took them longer to go from the camp to the city of Jericho. And on the third day, yeah, they had to take seven laps, and then they got to give a big shout. Um, but it was not all that taxing. It makes me think, is what God's asking me to do? to love one another, really all that taxing, especially if I am submitting to the Holy Spirit. The plan conveyed to the people, conducted through the people, and as we see, as we end out verse 20 and into 21, it, the plan was concluded for his people. Read with me at the last half of verse 20. And it says this, And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, 
And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat, just as the Lord had promised to Joshua, the wall fell down flat. Now, how do you think that happened? How do you think that happened? How did the wall come tumbling down? Now, um, I'm an old mechanical engineer, and I used to, I had to study this long ago. There's a thing called um, natural resonance frequency. So, so was, was, did their voice and the sound of those trumpets somehow match the nat- uh, natural frequency of the walls, the, the stone and mortar, such that they, they fell apart? If you've ever seen uh, the video of the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in the 1940s, and how it's, it, it, that natural frequency was reached and the, and the bridge starts vibrating and then getting more and more violent and finally it shakes itself apart, you need to Google that video because it is a physical phenomena that happens. Did that happen? I don't know. I mean, or, or the shout, was it so great that it created a seismic event? Um, you know, I'm a big LSU fan. They, they won yesterday. I don't know if you've ever been to Death Valley, but with 102,000 screaming, drunk, I mean, happy LSU Tiger fans. I mean, you can feel that in your chest. You can only imagine that, that somehow that, that vibration uh, caused the wall to fall apart. Or, or did God create an earthquake at that moment in time? Or, as Paul writes in Colossians, you know, God holds all things together. Did he just let those molecules that, that were bound together, let them fall apart? Uh, and the walls come tumbling down. Well, actually, the Bible tells us how it happened. We've got to go to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. But over in chapter 11, known as the Hall of Faith, verse 30 says this, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. And then, you know, the next verse, we, we might as well read it now because uh, it involves one of the characters here. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Hmm. Ah, so here we are, nearly done with the sermon, and I have not mentioned the Ark of the Covenant. And it's one of those mighty trees in the middle of this forest. And uh, let, me just, let me just say this about the Ark. Um, Joshua mentions it no fewer than 10 times uh, in, in this narrative. So it's, it's an important part and we are to remember that the ark is a remembrance of the presence of, of God. If you remember how this book started, uh, God gave Joshua this at the, at the beginning. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. The presence of the ark and the battle of Jericho was prominent because indeed the Lord was with them. Let me just close out uh, this little section here with one more point. Um, finishing up uh, the conclusion here of, of God's work conducted through the people. Verse, uh, ending verse 20, it says this, um, then the people went up, that's speaking up uh, in terms of altitude, uh, not direction. They went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, uh, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword, as instructed both to possess the land, and you've got to keep this in mind, to be an instrument of God's judgment on the nation of Canaan for their centuries of wickedness. Now, we get the possession part, right? That's a bunch of happy faces. Uh, but we often struggle with the wrath of, of God. Uh, but God's wrath on sin is nothing new. It's throughout the Bible. Recall his, his flood judgment at the time of Noah 
Only eight were delivered from that. And uh, if you recall back in Genesis chapter 15, you know, God told Abraham uh, that this time was coming for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So here beginning in chapter 6, that, Amor- that time is at hand uh, for those in the land of Canaan. God is merciful, and he's 400 years patient, but God is also just, and we need to remember that. Sin's a very big deal, very big deal, not to be made light of or, or to be seen as something obscure because in the eyes of the Lord, sin is a very, very big deal. Israel responded to God's instructions through faith and by, by trusting solely in him. So what, what keeps a person from acts of obedience, acts of faith? Well, in my opinion, I think it boils down to one, you know, there's probably lots of things, but I think there's a main, main point here, and I could point to some Bible references. But I think the greatest hindrance to obedience is pride, right? Yeah, the absence of humility. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said this, In God you come against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And, of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. I also like what uh, Samuel Bringle wrote from the Salvation Army. Uh, But I am so concerned that God uses me and that it is not of me the work is done. The axe cannot boast of the trees it has cut down. It could do nothing but for the woodsman. He made it, he sharpened it, and he used it. Oh, that I may never lose sight of this. Uh, how does one approach the atypical battle plans of God? From a position of humility. Pride or humility, you get to choose. I know where I fail in my time. God's way is conveyed through his word, carried out through faith, and we want to end this in verses 22 through 27. God's ways are completed according to his character. God's ways completed according to his character. And again, just looking at three things here. Faithfulness exhibited, a forewarning expressed, and fame extolled. Um, faithfulness exhibited. Uh, let's go to the, the text here. Because it appears that not all of the wall was utterly destroyed. If you recall back in uh, chapter 2, verse 15, Rahab lived in uh, the, the city wall. Um, so God had to save at least part of it to, to some extent to where Rahab and her family survived. Verse 22 says this, But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. But Before we kind of talk about that, drop down just a, a little bit to ver, uh, verse 25. So she dwells in Israel to this day. So keep that in mind uh, as we, we talk about verse 22. Joshua instructed the two spies to, 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 to be and to de- demonstrate what it means to be faithful to their prophe- uh, promise. It's, it's a great um, demonstration of leadership. Not only is it delegation, but to fulfill that the promise they made. Now, as the Bible would say, let your yes be yes and your, your no be, be no. And so the two men, as we see in verse 23... And the, the, the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But the reason I want you to have 25 in your mind is, is this. So she dwells in Israel this day. From, from one of ill repute 
to one of great repute. We know that the storyline, you know, there's, there's a line of Boaz, King David, and ultimately Jesus. But that just reminded me of, 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 of who I was, who I am. Before faith in Christ, I was one of ill repute. After faith in Christ, son of God. That is, it just floors me um, what God does. What a great work that he does. Look also at the faithfulness exhibited in offering the first fruits and victory to the Lord, which we read about in verse 24. Um, um, yeah, verse 24. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury for the house of the Lord. Now, can you imagine how tempting it would have been um, for these warriors who've been wandering out in the wilderness, in the desert, to come up against the mighty city of Jericho, fortified with all kinds of provisions inside. They go in, and right there at their fingertips are things like the fine pottery of Jericho, known worldwide for it. It's pottery, clothing, utensils, weaponry, food, anything that you can imagine. And yet, as tempting as that was, they didn't take it. It would it'd almost be like a, a Green Bay Packer um, Catch a wide receiver catching a touchdown and not doing the Lambo leap. Or Justin Jefferson catching a touchdown and not doing the gritty. You know what the gritty is? Huh? What'd you say? Show them? All right, I did this first service. I embarrassed my wife. You know, you know what the gritty is? No? You've never seen you never seen Justin Je- He played for LSU. You've never seen this? All right. All right. Uh, yeah, the gritty. Told you I'd do it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, I embarrassed my wife, embarrassed me too. Um, mm. Anyway, um, these guys forewent that, staying in, in complete uh, faith to the, to the Lord. Um, let's also look at a forewarning expressed. And, and, um, let me do a quick time check. Um, verse 26, Then Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. And he's really talking about refortifying the city, right? The nation of Israel needed God to be their rock, their fortress, uh, and, and not things of this world. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. Now, that prophecy was actually fulfilled. Uh, if you read in 1 Kings chapter 16, you'll read about this king called Ahab. And, and I, I, I like what uh, is recorded there about King Ahab. It said this, King Ahab, king Ahab <clears throat> did more to provoke the Lord God to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Pretty bad dude, right? But there is a person... Uh, at that time during the reign of Ahab named Hiel, and he was actually from Bethel, not Bethel Bible Church, from Bethel that tried to rebuild, refortify the city of Jericho. And sure enough, he lost his firstborn son, and then he lost his secondborn son. And so you can read about that in, in 1 Kings chapter 16. I, I would like, um, I'm going to hit the pause button for just, just one minute. I think we got time. Um, because I, you know, sometimes, as, you know, I don't, we don't ever want to read ourselves into Scripture, but sometimes as I, I reflect on these things, I, I think about who am I in this narrative? Am I Jericho or am I Israel? Am I 
in humility, fully obedient by faith to the Lord, or am I Jericho seeking refuge within the walls of my sin, relying on what I've stored up, relying on the, the, the walls I've built around me, rationalizing my sin away? Or, or maybe I'm now at the point where God has knocked those walls down, uh, but I'm tempted to rebuild them and rebuild that sin in my life. And so I don't have anything to preach on that. It was just a thought that, that came into my mind, um, maybe something to, to meditate on for you uh, during the week. You know, I go back and forth. You know, yes, sometimes I'm obedient, but you know, there are times when I'm not, and uh, I am thankful for his mercy and, and his grace. Well, let's close this thing out with verse 27. And um, uh, fame extolled. So the Lord was with Joshua. Now, some things just simply speak for themselves. If you look back at chapter 3, verse 7, uh, there's a statement that, you know, the Lord said, I will begin to exalt you this day before the nation of Israel. And chapter 4, he then says, he exalted Joshua in the sight of Israel. And they feared him as they they did Moses. But look how chapter 6 ends. And his fame spread throughout all the country. The, the Hebrew word there is Shema, and, and it speaks to uh, reputation. Uh, it speaks to renown, implying status and honor. And, and if the Canaanite, Canaanites' hearts had melted before, um, even more so now with the reputation of Joshua throughout all the land. I think my, my, one of the things that I've kind of come to here is I've, I've studied this, and um, is that you know, what God accomplishes goes beyond what we could ever imagine. Well, God, it, God, there's no need to try to add to his accomplishment or try to take for ourselves from his accomplishments. His works are complete works. If you take the work of Christ um, on the cross, uh, in the Gospel of John, he records a single word of Christ dying on the cross. Now, the Gospel of John, I love it. It's one of my four favorite Gospels. Um, thank you. Um, John recorded this one word in the Greek, tetelestai. It's in the, the, the perfect tense. It has been, it is finished, right? His substitutionary work for the atonement of sin, completed one time for all time, finished, complete, carries into eternity. Nothing you can do to atone for your sin, that price was paid in full, available to all who believe. Simply believe. God's accomplishments go beyond what we could ever do. So again, the challenge is this. Do you trust him? Do you believe in him? So let me just close with something here. Um, related thought. You know what a cardiologist is? Dr. Kummerfeld's not here. Huh? We have one here? Woo! All right, you know what a cardiologist is. Yeah, good. It's a heart doctor, right? Someone, huh? Yeah, someone who, who is um, concerned with your heart health. Examines your heart. Uh, and the cardiologist, if I'm not mistaken, he wants the, the, the patient uh, to have a healthy diet and to have exercise. But there's also a spiritual diet. And, and God wants us, that spiritual diet is a consumption of God's word so that we can learn his ways. And the spiritual exercise is acts of faith through obedience, right? Carrying out God's way. So God, in a sense, is our, our spiritual cardiologist examining our hearts. He delights in those who delight concerning good heart health. Now, I don't recall if this is from the American Heart Association or not. I think it was. It says, do your part, care for your heart. 
So, you know, do you practice good spiritual cardiovascular health? Do you study his word? Do you, do you trust him? Because that's what God desires is that your heart be strengthened through the study of his word and through the exercise of faith through works of obedience. His ways are not our ways, no matter how unusual his ways may appear. Know that his ways are better. Remember the lessons from Jericho. God works through faithful acts of obedience, even when his ways seem counterintuitive to our own prideful thoughts. And God will do amazing works in your life. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for this congregation, this church. Um, we thank you so much for your beautiful, beautiful word. Um, oh, how I long for it. How I just yearn to know more about you. Um, the more I open it, the more I look up to how great and wonderful you are, Lord. And so we just, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the message, the simple message, to know that your ways are far superior to ours. And all we're required to do is to be humble and to submit. So, Lord, I just ask that you do humble us. And I know that's a big ask. Be careful what you ask for us. But uh, I do, because you are that important. God, be with us as we depart. In Jesus' name, amen.